You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Sit down. One. Sit down. So the next thing we're supposed to do is um, have our conversation on stage. So um, let let please bring the chairs here. These chairs have seen better days. Praise Jesus, but yeah, just tilt it a bit. And then please put your hands together as I have my lovely wife. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. What are these for? So we put our legs on top. All right. Um, where's the second microphone? Please put your hands together for crested worship. Okay, so. Honestly, we don't have plenty of time. I'm saying that I still want to teach this afternoon. But I want us to have a tete-a-tete. So, basically, just heart-to-heart conversation. Even if tete-a-tete means head-to-head in French. Anyway, I want us to have a heart-to-heart conversation um, on anything. So I'm going to give 10 seconds or 20 seconds. I would appreciate it if you could stand up and raise your hand and then come out and ask your question. But if you can't, please write it on a sheet of paper. But um, if you have a question, can, can the logistics people outside come inside? I think, I think it's time so that everybody can be part of this. If you've got a question, could you just raise your right hand or something you would like to like us to talk about, you know, on any wide spectrum of convers- of topics. So it could be marriage, it could be relationships, it could be school. Um, I don't know. Provided we have an answer, we will do our best to give it. So if you have a question, can you raise your right hand above your head? Anyone? Thank you very much, Pastor Fain. Anyone? It's better like this, so, so that we'll just go straight into the word. <laughs> I have a lot to teach. Anyone, you know what's happening. So now we're waiting for who we go first. <laughs> what, who did us this thing? Why do we behave like this? Okay, so PF has his hand up. Um, someone at the back. All right, I see. Okay, so let's start from the non-pastor. So that it doesn't look like questions were rigged. So, if you'll be kind enough, um, you know what? Since we are one, we'll share one mic. You guys should share this one. Um, my name is Victor. So um, I'm looking for the question. Oh, 
So the question goes like this. Um, I didn't find it on my phone, so just try to explain it. So um, somebody asked, the, why did God, why did God, the, um, we did not ask to be created, then why does God create us and then judge us? So the person is basically asking, the, since there is free will, why didn't, question is, is weird, since there is free will, why couldn't we choose to exist? So God created us, and then he's now judging us. So you get my question? That's a very good question. Um, you, can, you can sit down, sir. Okay. Um, okay, so that's a very good question. And um, let me start like this. Free will only exists for living beings. <laughs> Let's start from there. And so a non-living being or an uncreated being cannot have free will. The, the scope of free will is the ability to choose within the environment of reality. Which means you must exist in reality first. Is that correct? Uh -huh. So you must exist first to exercise free will. That's one. Two, God did not create us for us. Your life is not about you. Newsflash. Like, that question comes from this mindset that I'm supposed to be in control of my life. No. My life is supposed to. Excuse me. My life is supposed to be my own to live. No. I think it was in the book of Revelations that the Bible says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive all glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created all things for your pleasure. They are and were created. You are part of all things. You were created for God's pleasure. We all were. So saying we did not ask to be created, that doesn't make sense. You were not created because you wanted to be or you didn't want to be. You were created because he wanted to create you. And because he wanted to create you, he created you. And after creating you, because you are supposed to be for his pleasure, he gave us a way to live to please him. We must never forget that the point of human existence is God's pleasure. And if you say, forgive me, if you say that's unfair, um, create your own humans, right? I think some, I'm probably reacting to something. It's probably the chest. <laughs> Forgive me. If you say that's unfair, create your own humans. But there's something that even as humans, we agree with consciously or subconsciously. Thank you very much. And it is this. And it is this. If a, if a parent gives birth to a child, at least until the child is adult enough to make his own decisions. 
The parent expects the child to abide by the rules under his own roof. Is that right? And your, your father will tell you, as long as you are eating my food and living under my roof, you will play by my rules. Is that true? And as long as you are eating his food, breathing his air, and living under his roof, how about we play by his rules? It's weird for us to now say, I didn't ask to be born. You, you gave birth to me because you could not control yourselves. And they've born you now. <laughs> like, it's a very funny question. Like, it comes from a place of arrogance. This place where you think that you are anything more than you are. You are God's creation. That's what you are. And there is no definition of you or identity that you have outside of being God's creation. Which means there is no version of you that could have made the decision to be created. There is no version of you that, that knows what it means to not be God's creation. So saying, I didn't ask to be created, is in itself a pointless statement. Because you don't know what it means to ask to be created. Nobody does. Do you get, do you understand what I'm saying? So in itself, it's a, it's a self-defeating question. Can, can, like can a chair say, I didn't ask for you to create me this way? It can't. We created it. And when we create it, we use it the way we, that, you must understand something. Creations exist for the pleasure of the creator. It's not just God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not just God. If you, if you are hungry, you go to the kitchen, you take salt, you take maggi, you take rice. Some people used to cook salt and sprinkle it with rice. Some people cook rice and sprinkle salt inside. Whichever category you belong in, you shall cook something, good or bad. Then after cooking the thing, you proceed to consume it. The end result of consuming it is the toilet. Now imagine while you, you finish boiling the rice and the rice is in your plate looking nice and then the rice now says, I didn't ask to be created. So why do you want to eat me? I cooked you to eat you, guy. Like that was the entire point of cooking you. The entire point of creating us was his pleasure. Not me, not you. God didn't create you so you feel good. He created you so that he will feel good. When you learn this, you'll feel better. It's the irony of life. When we discover purpose, we start to live life truly the way it was meant to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. When we discover that we're not created for ourselves, but for him and him alone, we live life the way he intended for us to. But when we think, oh, I have things I want to do and I like in this world, so I have some level of control, we will always butt heads with him. And the thing is, you are, you are already losing because he is still the judge. <laughs> so, and who else will be judged? He alone. I, I remember seeing a tweet that can we all, this needs to be talked about. We need to hold God accountable for all the atrocities. And I'm like, thank God he is good. But if God was a bad person, who wants to hold him accountable? God decides, you know what? Um, let's play a game. Spin the atlas. Wherever my finger lands, everybody will die. Is that Lagos? <laughs> right? And then everybody in Lagos just... Okay, so now we now see he killed the entire Lagos. Uh -huh. 
What do you want to do? <laughs> I, 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 I think we should know, we should no, not go do past yourself. I think that's, that's the answer to that question. You can't ask that question because you don't know what that question means. You don't know what it means to create, to ask to be created. And your free will doesn't exist. And here's another thing about free will. And it's not just with God. Like, I keep saying this thing. It's like, we know and understand these concepts with every other aspect of our lives, but when it comes to God, we switch it off. Free will is not indefinitely free. Free will is free within the confines of given rules. Let me explain. If you have a car in Lagos State, can you drive it? It is yours to drive. Yes or no? You are free to drive. Yes or no? Can you drive it without a driver's license? Is it your car? It is your own. You spent money on it. Can you drive it without a driver's license? Can you drive one way? You can, but if they catch you. <laughs> if they catch you. So you are free to drive. Nobody's stopping you from driving. Just not against the rules. Free will does not mean no rules. Free will means the freedom to choose within the confines of given rules. No matter how much free will you want to exercise as a human being, you cannot make... Let me, let me put it like this. No matter how much free will you want to exercise as a human being, you cannot turn something that is black without doing anything to it. You decide it is white and it will now be white. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we see people who talk like that, you see something that is black... It is black. Everybody agrees it is black. But I'm exercising free will, so I say it's white. When you see people who talk like that, our next step is mental assessment. Are you okay? Why? Because the rule says that on the color palette, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0 is black. That's, what, that's a designer joke. On the color palette, this is black. You know what I mean? And this is white. You can't say what is black is white and what is white is black and say I have free will. You have free will, you have freedom of movement, you have freedom of speech, but you see army man on the road and you call him an idiot, you are free. Oh. <laughs> but he's also free. <laughs> right? Free will does not exist in isolation, one. And free will does not mean indefinite freedom. Free will means... The freedom to act within the confines of given rules and um, regulations. Does that make sense? All right. Um, Star Victor, did I answer your question? All right. Um, Nifesi has a hand up, and then I can't see your face. There's a light directly in my eyes, so I can't see your face. But I'll have Nifesi, I'll have her, I'll have patience, and I'll have one more. One more. Okay, I'll have the paper, then PF. The end. I couldn't mean. Good evening, Hi. So my question is for Pastada. Okay. So um, my question is, now that you're a pastor's wife, what, <laughs> what habit is it that you have mastered now? Or what is it that you know now <laughs> that you wish you knew then before you became a pastor's wife? Thank you. Okay. Uh, okay, let me get the let me get the question correctly. Um, now that I'm a pastor's wife, what are the things that are there things that um, I didn't know then that I wish I knew? 
now. Okay. Okay. I would say <laughs> that um, it's 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 a lot of work. I think because I can remember when I and Poco started dating, and I specifically I don't know if you can remember I specifically said I don't want to be a pastor's wife, <laughs> and he was laughing, and then he said why? <laughs> no, that time. <laughs> We had just started dating. And he was like, why? And then we, I shared my worries and all of that. And then he's like, well, well I would say, Hisha tried to convince me. But <laughs> um, eventually, going down the line along the years, um, I think I felt like at that time, I wasn't prepared. I didn't know. Because um, most of the pastor's wives I had seen then, which was part of my worry or set of worries then, um, the pastor's wives I had seen had a way of life and courage that um, I, didn't, I, I didn't want for the rest of my life. Um, but being a pastor's wife, I just realized that it takes a lot of work. Um, it's not. It wasn't. It's not as easily put as anybody on the outside would see it as. Because um, I think at the beginning of the year, uh, I had to ask myself like, what are the job descriptions? <laughs> and we asked the executives in our strategic meeting, and so it takes a lot of emotional capacity. Um, to handle relationships, build relationships, um, handle relationships that the pastor would have as well. So handling my relationships, my, my relationship with the church, outside the church, being able to handle pastor's relationship with the church, pastor's relationships outside the church. So all of those just takes a lot of work it doesn't, it's not necessarily physical, but a lot of emotional work, emotional capacity. So I would just say simply putting everything, summing everything up, it takes a lot of work. I didn't know that in the beginning. And then now I know, and I'm praying to God to help me. Praise God. <laughs> All right, patience, you have a question. Thank you. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Hi, patience. So, I'm a young adult. No. And <laughs> wait, 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 wait. At all. <laughs> wait, wait. Okay. Um, my question is basically about the worries of life. I just um, noticed recently, like, problems never finish, right? Like, <laughs> you're at one stage in your life and you're thinking, oh my God, I'm going through a lot. And then you see someone else that is like, at the next stage that you're going to, that person is going through a lot too. And you're thinking, I'm, like, when will this end? Like, so I've just been thinking a lot recently, like, okay, when exactly are all these problems going to end? Like, is there a point in my life that I'm going to be like, okay, I am finally at peace? Okay, so <laughs> let me answer the question like this. That if you are seeing Shege, <laughs> There's someone that's in Shege Banza. 
That person is shaking hands at Uku. This is, this is. I don't think problems ever go away. It's a, it's a part of the human experience. We do live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world with fallen people. Right? Sometimes the problem is your fault. Sometimes the problem is another person's fault. Right? I mean... <laughs> I'm an adult now. Yes, I'm an adult. I, and I look, I look at our young brothers and sisters in school. And Unilag has shown some people shaky. But when I look at you, I'm like, you guys are cute. Because <laughs> I, know, I know right now, at this stage, this is the amount of shaky you can handle. And I'm thankful that many of you are taking it with so much grace. But trust me, <laughs> there are levels to... <laughs> I think that problems never finish, but you will grow to rise above problems. And so, if you, if you do it right, you would consistently grow through life and then it would get to a point where the problems that do come would seem like, eh, it's one of those things, I can deal with this. You know what I mean? It, it, you will get, grow to a point where it doesn't overwhelm you anymore. I think one of the trainings God gave me for finances is pastoring. If you pastor a church, you're a lead pastor of a church, I think one of, the, one of the things that your mind will dull to first is money. And how um, the spending of, you know, you know that feeling you get when you get debit alert, that your heart sinks? I don't feel it. I just get it and delete, just close my phone. Like, I don't feel it. Why? Because I pastor a church. The debits are heavier. I started seeing heavy debits early in life. <laughs> right? And so, I think that was one of the trainings. So, going through life, they say, oh, it's rent time. And then every other person is running around, it's time to pay rent. And in my head, I'm like, see what? I pay church rent every month. I'd not die. This one too shall pass. I don't know where the money will come from, but it will pass. I have sort of grown to overcome being, being overwhelmed by the problems. So I think that's what you should seek to do. I, I, let me tell you the truth. When people tell you, um, if you have money, your problems will go away, it's not true. There's a prophet that said, more money, more problems. The prophet did not really lie like that. <laughs> right? It's not true that if you have all the money in the world, your problems will go away. There's a reason why rich people are still trying to make money. You know what I mean? And people, I was talking to a member of our church. He's having a terrible time right now. Like so terrible, he doesn't have where to live, you know. Um, and um, the church is trying to help him secure an accommodation. So he was telling me that, Pastor, why is it only me that things are happening to? I said, oh, me. 
So you are here now, and your own worry and concern is where to live. And it's a huge worry and concern. Never undermine somebody else's problems because you've been through it before. Never do that. So I, I proceeded to tell him the story of someone I knew who last year woke up, I was in debt. And the person was owing 60 million naira. People were trying, like, they are threatening to kill him. People were sending, like, they sent police first. The police did their thing. Police did not retrieve the money. It turned to life threats. We'll kill you. If we see you on the road, it's on sight. So I asked him, which life would you rather live? This one now that you're sleeping outside, but nobody is disturbing you. Your money is your money. Anything you see, you eat. Or you look like you're doing well. But somebody's hand is on your neck like this. You can't come out of your estate gate because if, if you come out, you can't go to church, you can't pray, you can't. Which one would he say? Ah, if I, he say and this was, this was his words. If I wake up and I'm only someone 60 million, I'll kill myself. I'll kill myself. That's the thing about problems. We just rise. That person that was owing that amount of money, he had risen to the point where that, that problem would not overwhelm him. You are in school. If you wake up tomorrow morning now and find out that there is one four million naira debt on your head, that it just came upon you like anointing, <laughs> would you be thinking about exams? <laughs> it's the truth. So we just rise to overcome the problems. And, and this, is why, this is one of the reasons why we trust God and we have God, right? And our minds are kept by God. I've shared before how um, during the um, collapse, the stock exchange collapse, I think collapse of 2002 or 2008, my father had about 20 million naira in stock, in shares in one of these banks. Slept, the 20 million naira was there. Woke up the next morning, the bank had folded. Like he woke up to the news of the bank folding. That's 20 million naira. And there's nobody to hold. There's nobody to hold. The bank has folded, it has declared bankruptcy, nobody to hold. Do you understand? Uh, so there are problems on ev like every step of the way, there will be a challenge. But the thing is, you can rise above the challenge and you can grow yourself to a point where you are not overwhelmed by the challenges. That's, that's, at least that's what God promises you. He doesn't promise you that the problems won't be there. He promises you that you, you can, your mind can, you can have peace. Regardless of the storm, you can have peace. Does it make sense? There was somebody raising a hand up at the back there. Okay. After that, we'll just take these questions and then we'll and then we'll take after how we'll take PF and then we'll go. There's a mic behind you. Hi everyone. Hello. Hi, Poco. Hi, Mko. My name is Precious. Hi, Precious. So I want to ask a question. A while back, I asked a question about untimely death. Okay. Um so you streamlined it. I stand to be corrected, Sha, because maybe I didn't hear well. You streamlined it to um, the death of a person being God's will. And you streamlined it to an incident of somebody being a sickler and so it's time for the person to go. So um, I want to ask if we can identify that 
death at times can be God's way. Why then does the scripture always say that um, he has given us power to raise the dead, heal the sick, and Hebrews says that by faith we receive the dead back to life and all. So if we pray against the spirit of death and um, we can cast out the spirit of death, why, how can we not identify that while praying for this person? It's God's will that the person is going to die. So we can just accept it and move on. Or is God trying to tell us that our emotions can't handle it, that it's God's will for this person to go? So that's my question. All right. So that's a very good question. But here's the thing. The Bible doesn't actually expressly teach that you should raise every dead person. Do you understand what I'm saying? In fact, the scripture you quoted from Hebrews speaks in the past tense. By faith, people received their dead back to life. If you read in context, you would realize it was one, two, three, four people that the Bible was talking about. And not everyone. There is a predisposition towards death that we must have. It's a general predisposition. And it is this. When the Spirit of God tells us to pray against untimely death, in a person's life or in a family, we do it with a lot of favor and zeal. If a person dies, our first predisposition should not be, ah, I have power, I have power, I will raise this person back from the dead. Our first predisposition should be inquiring from the spirit if I should pursue praying for this person or not. The reason is, in the end, God still calls his children home. Do you understand what I'm saying? He still does. And no amount of faith confessions will eliminate or, or negate God's call. When, when God has called somebody home, person has gone home. Now, if it was a case of a sickness that has led to death, pray for the person while the person is sick, knowing full well that there is no sickness that is God's will. But if God or the person that eventually dies, the person could have died for a number of reasons. Number one, the sickness could have claimed the person's life generally. Number two, it could have been the spirit of death taking advantage of the sickness to cause, to bring death into that person's life. But number three, it could be God calling the person home, taking advantage of the sickness. Just, okay, you are sick. Let's just call you home from here. Now, in such a case, once a person has died, your, your first go-to shouldn't be dead person. Let's raise them. I know what I'm saying makes me sound like I'm not a faith person. But if you understand faith, you will understand that this is actually what faith really is. That we seek the approval of God in a situation, especially situations where we know that God can have some authority over we seek the approval of God in that situation before we go ahead. See, in Jesus' ministry, if you count through the Bible, Jesus did not raise up to 10 people from the dead. He didn't. He was alive for three and a half years. People died every single day. But he didn't raise up to 10 from the dead. So it is either... He didn't have faith or he lost his assignment and purpose or Jesus truly understood that some people need, like God calls some people home 
and it's time for them to go and we should just accept it. I think, and see, let me use another example, an extreme example. The Archbishop, Archbishop Benson Idaosa, if you've been keeping, if you kept up with his ministry, I think they said he raised 33 dead people. Is it 30 something? Do you realize that that is still small compared to the number of people who died? Is that correct? And so, in his case, we can argue he was more open to the leading of God to pray for people who have died, who it wasn't his will, because many people die and God has nothing to do with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that everybody who dies is God's will for them to die. I'm saying a lot of, in fact, more people die than God willed to die. Some people die because of sickness. Some people die because the devil took their life. Some people died because of carelessness. I mean, you're driving anyhow on the road and you jump. You died. <laughs> Say, God called me home. No, you went home. <laughs> right? And so we can argue the archbishop was more inclined to the leading of God to pray for the people who died not according to his will. But let me tell you something. There, would have, there are people in Archbishop's ministry that you prayed for that didn't come back from the dead. Say you know. Many. Many people. In fact, I was watching a documentary and there was a lady that they, a baby they brought to him who died. And he held the baby, full-grown Archbishop now, not the young Archbishop that was still learning, full grown in all his archbishopness, held the baby and started praying for the baby to come back to life. And midway through the prayer, he turned to the mother and told the mother, God is good, God gives, God takes away. Prepare your home, go and bury your child. He had walked out of the house when the baby coughed and came back to life. So he had resigned to, ah, God has taken this person home. And he walked out. We must never be in that position where we say it is either this person is raised back from the dead or God is not real or God is not walking through me or God is not true. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we must give room for God's um, permission especially in, subject in the subject matter of calling the dead back to life. Now, here's the thing. Anybody that we do pray for and they do return back from the dead. By faith, we received the dead back to life. Do you understand? This doesn't mean that every time there is faith, the dead will come back to life. This means that whenever a dead person came back to life, faith was involved. Do you understand the difference? Do we understand the difference? So every, it doesn't mean that every time there is faith, ah, that once there is a dead person, say, is he dead? All we need is faith, just Let's bring faith. This person will come back to life. No. But it means that if anybody dead comes back to life at all, it could have only been possible by faith. Like faith was involved. So there's a difference. So I think, I think that's a generic answer now. So let's, let's, let's just say I streamlined it. That's a general answer. Does it make sense? All right. PF, you have a question. Microphone, microphone is behind you. Good afternoon, sir. I have three questions. <laughs> All right. So, so the first question is about uh, ministry. So um, there's this general perception, right, that um, if maybe God calls me to ministry to pioneer something, my children 
should be somewhat a part of that ministry. So I, the, the picture is not clear to me. Is ministry specific to a man or is it specific to his lineage? In that sense, that's question one. Question two is for Pastor Ada. So um, the question is, as a pastor's wife, um, so yeah, generally, there, um, I know it comes with some level of sacrifice and um, some things need to like be align with someone who God has called. So the question now is, how does a pastor's wife navigate things like career and things like um, ambition, all those things, while still being a pastor's wife? The final question is now generally for ministers. How do you navigate ministry and um, career, ambition, and all of that? All right. Okay. I think the answer to the last question is the answer to the second question. So I'll just let Pastor answer the last two questions because ladies first. He's <laughs> 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 <It> shocking. <laughs> okay, so... Um, what I, what I like to say is when it comes to career as a woman in ministry, pastor's wife, um, first and foremost, self-discovery, knowing what you want, knowing who you are, knowing what God has, what God has called you to do. And when you don't like, if you don't have that clearly cut out, there's a tendency for you to attach yourself so much to your partner's ministry that you begin to find your identity in that, in that ministry. And then when things are not necessarily going as planned, it's not like your life has tumbled upside down and you don't know what you're doing anymore. It's because from the very beginning, there was not, there was that clearly stated um, will of God for your life, saying that this is what I know um, God wants me to do for my life. And that would even help in who you're marrying, the kind of pastor you're marrying, the kind of minister you're getting married to, um, and your responsibility towards the ministry. So actually knowing God's plan for your life specifically um, would affect every area, including ministry, knowing that, okay, um, probably you are not meant to be a full-time minister. Then do not be a full-time minister, even if you're married to a pastor. You don't have to be a full-time minister. You can be an amazing career woman in any um, sphere or field. And at the same time, you'd have an amazing pastor and you would serve in the church like a worker, enjoy service, build your relationships and go back home. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and then, or if, if, if God didn't, if God didn't um, ask you to do that, then you are a full-time minister, but there would be a more specific direction and call to your life specifically that, okay, this is what I want you to do, excluding the church, or this is what I want you to do, this is what I want you to do in the church. Either of those ways, you asked God and you know that this is what God wants to do for me before you can then find your place inside the ministry or the pastor uh, or the ministry you're a part of and you're pastoring with your husband. Abby? So, is yeah, that, that's so I, that think, I think 
that's a very profound answer. And it's the same answer for um, how do you balance ministry and career. First of all, before we continue, please, can we stand up and recognize teacher? <laughs> please. Please, put your hands together for him. Thank you so much, sir. God bless you, sir. All right, sit down. So I, I've heard the debates on whether pastors should do nine to five or not. Here is what I know. If God did not send you, it will frustrate you. If God did not send you to do a nine to five and you do the nine to five, it will frustrate you. If God did not send you to do full time and you do full time, it will frustrate you. If God did not send you, it will frustrate you. Whether we say Paul was a tent maker, Luke was a doctor, they were doing what God told them to do. Do you understand? Uh, go and do, like she said very rightly, discover what God will have you do and stay with it. There's a friend of mine. Let me not share my friend's own. Let me share this other one. There's a man of God I know. He started doing ministry. Ministry was going fine. And so, of course, as a man of God, you love your wife, you love your family, you want to have... Men of God, even if we are faith people, many, men, most pastors are extremely logical. That's the truth. Most pastors, extremely logical. You can't run an organization without being logical. Where is rent coming from? How much are we spending on this? What are we spending on this? How much can we pay this person? So most pastors are great planners with finances, extremely logical, extremely intelligent, and it affects them. Because with church, we tend to be radical faith people. But in our homes, we tend to be radically logical people. So that faith for finances that we have for the work of Christ, we don't have it in our houses. When it's time for food, you are thinking, so how do I provide for the home? So most men of God tend to say, okay, even if God said I should do full time, I will start a business by decide. And I know somebody who did it, and every single business he started failed. Every single one. He just told himself that, see, God not tell me to start business. He said I should stay in this 95. I'm going to stay here. Or he said I should stay in full time. I'll stay in full time. So I think the, the answer is do what God asked you to do. All right. Just stick to what God asked you to do. If the Lord asked you to combine, you know, ministry, pulpit ministry with a nine to five, it is very doable. Um, Reverend Femi Olale, excellent man of God, <laughs> excellent doctor. He has a nine to five. Um, Pastor Damiolo um, Atoimbo, excellent man of God, has his nine to five. There are many like that. Um, the pastor of the new. Pastor Shala Okudura, excellent man of God, has his nine to five. Pastor Emmanuel Iren, excellent man of God, full-time minister. Pastor Ogesiogwe, excellent man of God, full-time minister. It doesn't matter. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Do you get what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. God takes care of the cold. Sometimes he takes care of the cold through the nine to five. Other times he will feed you through ravens. It doesn't matter. You know, and the one that is being fed by ravens is not deeper than the one that has been taken care of in the 95 and vice versa. So I think that's the answer to that question. The very first question you asked, if ministry, if a pastor's son 
or daughter must be in the ministry with the pastor? Here's how I'll answer that question. In the Bible, there are two observable ways that the call of ministry is conferred on a person. The first is the call. God called you. You heard a voice. You had a vision. God called you. Like Samuel. But the second is something called desire. All right. Like Joshua, Nehemiah, Ezra. These people never heard my son get down to Lagos and raise me a people. Never heard that. And so, Joshua just served. He desired to serve, was serving Moses. And when it was time, Joshua didn't hear his call from God. He heard it from Moses. God told Moses, anoint Joshua in your stead. And same anointing came on Joshua, but it came with a different expression. Moses, with all the visions and everything he was having, Joshua with military might, same anointing, different expression, but he was called, you see. So that's the thing about the family. When a pastor does the work of ministry excellently, even if his son does not hear a call from heaven, he may pick up a desire for the call. And God does not look down on the desire of... So, because the fields are white, but the laborers are few. So, anybody who picks up a desire to do the work will be given the work. And so, it's not necessarily that God called the man and called his family along with him. But God called the man and called him to raise his family in such a way that there is a transference of... There is a, an impartation of desire on the family that allows for the family to want to pick up the mantle of the call that has been handed to the man. So um, you find that many pastors' sons and daughters get into the ministry with their fathers, and some don't even get into the same ministry. They go and start something because they feel there's a desire on their heart, and God chooses to work with that desire in different ways. All right, so I think it's dangerous when... We say things like, if God no call you, no go do. It's very dangerous because there are many people who, let me put it like this. Look around you. Most pastors in ministry picked up their call in the university. They picked up their call in the university because they were part of one fellowship or the other. During one fellowship meeting, the Lord called them. Now, many of them were raised in Christian homes. That's the reason they went to school. And instead of going to school to, when you enter university, now I am free. They thought, ah, fellowship meeting, let me go. Are you getting it? So there is a, and then another one, a lot of people who attended Covenant University picked up a call because of the environment. I mean, you can't. Bishop Oyedepo is a symbol of possibility. You can't see the bishop and not aspire to do for the Lord what he's doing. You, you know what I mean? So it's not, it's not automatic that if I call a man, his sons are called. But it's most likely going to happen because when the call is rightly executed, it produces in the people around it a desire to do the work also. You understand? And the first recipients of that desire will be the children of the man himself. That's why if, if the man doesn't rightly execute the call in his home, the children usually go wayward. Because they get the opposite of that desire 
which is a desire to not want to have anything to do with it at all. Do you get it? Uh -huh. All right. We have like three questions and we are out of time. Um, I'm going to answer two, but I'm going to leave this one for my wife. Because... <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'll answer this one. <laughs> I love you. Answer the questions. <laughs> you have the mic. Ladies first, ladies first. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. They wrote on that one. No, no, no. No more questions, please. So. It's better. <laughs> All right, answer. Let's go, let's go. There's no time. Is it rude to ask, what do you bring to the table on your, on your first date? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's rude. Can I have one house, please? I don't think it's rude, but I, I believe that there are more important things than what do you bring, on, what do you bring to the table. For example, if you have probably have your negotiables, non-negotiables, and for you, your, your non-negotiable is that the person should have money. It doesn't mean you're mat materialistic necessarily. You just want Loki to be rich. Lucky you guy. may be, but. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, right? It's, but you want the guy to be rich, right? And then on the first date, the guy says, well, I bring money. I bring security. I bring all of that and all of that. And then going further down in the relationship, you realize that this person is a very stingy person. Mm. The purpose of you asking is nullified because you're not even enjoying what, what you put on your list. So, so, so it defeats the purpose. However, there are other things that you can look for. And these things, the person doesn't have to say them for you to see them. Yes. I mean, there are a lot of people that will tell you, oh, uh, I'm very nice, I'm cool, calm, collected, until you upset them. <laughs> then every, everything is upside down, right? So these things you can know by the time you spend, the time you spend with the, with the person uh, further down in your relationship. So I believe that there are other things that um, are more important to observe and concern yourself with rather than what they bring to the table. And along the line, along the years of your dating relationship, um, you would actually see what this person brings to the table. I don't think you date somebody for years without, without the person influencing your life. And that person's influence in your life is already something that you are bringing to the table without them telling you. So, yeah.
Okay. <laughs> then. <laughs> Praise God. Um, okay, the second one. Do I, do I have to read it out? You can uh, just indulge. <laughs> Next year. Just indulge. Okay. Pastor Ada, please, when is the next ladies' pray? Next year. Praise God. Hallelujah. So I think I think that's that, that first answer, such a beautiful answer. I mean, couldn't have done better. Anyway, so this person says, How do you balance life as a Christian and living in the world? Do you hang out with only believers? What kind of songs do you listen to? Let's start from here. You don't balance being a Christian and living in the world. You are a Christian living in the world. Putting it that way makes it look like being a Christian is something you have and living in the world is another option. No. You are a Christian. It's like asking how do you balance being a girl and living in the world. You are a girl that lives in the world or you are a man that lives in the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? So... You live like a girl in the world, and you live like a man in the world. And being a girl in the world means that there are certain, um, there are certain facilities that you need to put in place to make sure that you can live as a girl properly in the world. Considering that we have a lot of um, violence on women in the world, for instance, it means that there are certain things that you just have to accept while we fight for a better world you have to accept for instance as a lady it doesn't make sense for you to be walking through Ted Show market by 9 p.m alone no no sense don't do it you see don't do it because you're a girl living in the world same thing with being a christian you're a christian living in the world you are not balancing it you are living your christian life in the world this means that your your taste in things must first be influenced by your Christianity. When that happens, all the questions of what kind of songs do you listen to um, and all of that, you would notice that they would slowly just change. You see, I don't mind listening to a good secular song that has good morals. You know what I mean? Maybe. Not, necessarily, not even good morals, just don't be immoral. You know, don't say anything vulgar. This Johnny Drew song, How Are You, My Friend? Great secular song, very wholesome, good song to listen to. Some songs are not against your faith. They don't affect your faith walk, your love walk, your consecration, none of that. Do you get what I'm saying? But at the same time, there are some things that I'm not even listening to them. And I'm in a place, for instance, I get into a taxify. Some song goes on and it's about a woman's body. Put off the radio, please. Put off the radio. Do you have Bluetooth? If you don't have, put off the radio. Why? It's not because I'm trying to, I'm trying to prove that I'm a Christian. It's taste. It's an acquired taste. It's the truth. It's an acquired taste. It is distasteful to me now. Some things I don't find funny again. Like, it's not that I'm, I'm fighting to laugh. That, hey, don't laugh, don't laugh. No. I don't find it funny at all. If, if you're cracking jokes, your joke starts with a mockery of the church, a mockery of Jesus. I'm not watching your videos. I'm not listening to you. I'm, I'm not in, I don't care what you are saying. I don't care what you want to do in your video. I'm not watching. I'm not listening. 
right? So, there is no balance, as it were. You are a Christian first. And if you live, if you allow your spirit to gain ascendancy in you, it will mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's what the Bible promised us. That it is possible for me to hear a song that has a good beat and actually say, this has a nice beat, this is good. But when I hear the words of the song, I'm like, regardless of how good this, the, how good this song sounds, I can't listen to this song because of these things that are being said. Do you understand? That's one. Two, when you are also very conscious about your spirits, it will determine the kind of people you hang around. Are there friends that you don't hang around because they're always so sad and moody? Do you have, have you met people like that before? They're always sad. They're always moody. There's no joy. You deliberately don't hang around these people because when you do, they pull you down. Is that right? Same thing with other friends. There are friends who will never respect your Christian experience. They would never re respect your process. So you go out together. Um, you go out to eat. And then everybody is ordering this. And you say, you know what? I don't want to take this because I'm a Christian. And instead of this friend, say, well, that's cool. And continue. They want, to, they want to mock you and pressurize you into devaluing your Christian values or throwing away your Christian values. Let me tell you this for sure. Those people don't value you. They don't. A friend who values you, a friend who values you may not understand why, but they will never joke with the things that you call secret. Do you hear what I'm saying? You'll never joke with the things you call secret. So I can have acquaintances that are unbelievers and all. But my friends, all my friends are serious Christians. Not like serious Christians. For most of them are ministers. And I'm not saying all your friends should be ministers. But I'm saying all your friends ought to be serious Christians. The people you call friends. Because in the end, your friend... You know how they say a friend in need is a friend indeed? It's true. The, one of the ways you, you value and evaluate the friendship that you share is, is in time of need. And sometimes your need is not money. Many times your need is advice. It's advice. So you are in a situation and you go and meet your friend and you say, advise me on what to do. Can you trust your friend to give you a piece of advice that will not tamper with your work with God? especially in a time when the situation is tempting you to tamper with your work with God. We all need friends like that. When the situation around us is moving us to a place where we have to choose that do we trust God or do we go with the flesh? You need a friend that will tell you, see, I know it's tough, but let's, let's hold on to God. Not the one that will tell you, see, oh, mommy, self, you don't tire me. See what well, God is not coming through, but let's do the way we know it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, as it as it goes, saying, um, "Do you hang out with only believers?" I can hang out with anybody, provided you respect me and my values. Do you understand what I'm saying? And hang out is a very loose term because, um, there's some there's some people I can't there's some places I can't even go to. 
with just anybody. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I'm, you don't understand why I'm not choosing a thing. We don't watch every Netflix movie. We don't watch every, we don't listen to every song. If you, if, if you don't understand, you are not my friend. We can't be friends. One. Two. Hanging out. Maybe hangouts as in, maybe they are doing a general, maybe social in the office. Social, something inside the office. We're now all, so I have to stay because I'm an employee of the company. I will hang out with all of you. But if I have a choice, I will leave. I will leave. Pastor David has shared time and again of how he worked in one place. I'm, I'm serious. He worked somewhere where they would, on Friday night, they would bring alcohol, put it on the table. Everybody should drink. Every... <sighs> Be careful, though. <laughs> Be very careful. And please, while I'm on this subject, do not let the fear of missing out put you in trouble. Do not let the, uh, every, I don't know, my, all my office people, they are going out to hang out. I'm going, I'm saying I'm not going because I'm a Christian. I don't know what they are going to say. Let them say what they want to say. Whatever gist wants to come up, let it come up there. If I never hear this gist, I won't die. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everybody's traveling to Dubai. See, everybody's traveling to Dubai, but you know they're not going there for anything good. Quietly just say, you know what? I can't go. You will not die. You will go to Dubai another day. Amen? Amen. Stay in your house. There's food at home. So respect. Remember, remember I said, it is first this. Walk out your salvation inside of you with fear and trembling. When you have worked it out, it will help you make every other decision. Many of you know what I'm saying. As you grew as a Christian... One of your friends that you guys were very tight before. One day you people were talking and she said something. And you started thinking to yourself that how am I still talking to this person? How are we still friends? How is this person still my friend? From that day, is that reducing the way both of you were hanging out? And nobody, this is not because I want to form that I'm a good Christian. No, your taste changed. You couldn't handle it again. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know how money comes into your life and it changes your taste? Some of you know what I'm saying now. Before, before you were always arguing that Android is better than Apple. Android is better. Then the Lord touched you with money. And then you bought an Apple device once. And then he said, my God. <laughs> and this is not to say that if you don't use an Apple device, you don't have money. But I'm just, I'm wondering why. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking, please. I'm just joking. But it's it's a taste thing. Your taste for your taste has changed because of the spirit of God inside of you. So this is not a matter of balance, it's a matter of taste. Don't forget, don't ever forget that. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, is what the Bible said. It's not a matter of let's balance the way the world is, and mm -mm, it's a matter of taste. Amen. Amen. Then this person says. Why doesn't Circle Church CCG take communion or practice in water baptism? Let me say it like this. I do not, and we do not have a problem with any church that does. All right? If you want to break bread and sip a cup of wine and, call, and break it as communion, 
there's no problem. None at all. If you want to baptize people, there's no problem. None at all. And so we may try it. It's not even a problem. But this is the thing. Number one. We want to make sure that beyond the practice of breaking bread, you know what the true communion is. Which is number one, fellowship with God. And then which leads to fellowship with the saints. That's true communion. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the true communion. Ah, then number two, we want to make sure that you do not idolize the practice. So, I don't have a problem. Like, I don't have a problem with any church at all. Like, I'm not going to see a church taking communion and saying, hmm, they've not entered into new revelation. No. No, no, no. The truth is, many times when we talk like that, we're just doing it for pride's sake. There are many things that we do, even as Christocentric churches, that we do for symbolism purposes. The Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If a man on his seat says, I believe and I receive, he is saved. Do you know? Why do we call them out? Symbolism. Stand before the body of Christ. Let everyone see you. Let's celebrate that you've been saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ah, it's just symbolic. So if we, can, if we can apply symbolism in that way, what happens to breaking of bread? In fact, once every year as a church, we break bread together. And we actually call it communion. We say it's our communion. We're breaking bread together. So we have one coming up the last, uh, I think it's 31st. 31st is Sunday, I think. So on the 31st, we're having Saturday. Shall we are doing crossover night? We're having a gala night and a crossover service. All right. So there's that. We eat together, break bread together, then pray together. That's communion. And then as for water baptism, we don't have a problem with it. It is very symbolic. We dip you in to, to signify the death you have died to sin. And we bring you out to signify that you've been raised in the newness of life. It is symbolic. We just don't do it because there is a deeper expression. There is a theology behind water baptism that we want you to take a hold of first. Because if you don't, you will do it. You will turn it into idolatry. That's, ex that's exactly what happens in the body of Christ. Do you get what I'm saying? It's possible to turn things that are meant to be symbols, we turn them into idols. You know what I mean? So it's not like secular church is against it. We are not. All right? We, if, if we have the opportunity to, and I trust that nobody will idolize it. For a long time, we didn't, take test we didn't use take testimonies in church. And here was why. We wanted to make sure that there was a, there was a pattern. You learned, a lot of people don't know how to share testimonies. You come and share testimonies, and you're glorifying the devil. Say, brothers, hmm, fear Satan, no. <laughs> Satan is strong, go. Are we, are we glorifying God or the devil? It's true. Have you not heard testimonies like that before? Or you come and share testimonies, and you ascribe to God what you shouldn't. I was entering a car. Somebody pushed me out of the car. Uh, I entered another bus. Lo and behold, five minutes later, I saw the car. They have had an accident. I want to thank God because he avenged me. That's not a testimony. We should pray for you. You have a very wicked heart. We should pray for you. Exactly. So, so, so until we were sure that you won't come here, hold the mic and embarrass us. <laughs> we didn't take testimonies. <laughs> so maybe one day, we'll just do water baptism for the sake of doing it. But it's... 
But there's one that we, we frown against. We don't do infant baptism. We don't do infant baptism. The child is not old enough to understand the significance of being dead to sin and being raised in righteousness. Do you understand? Let him grow to the age where he can confess the Lord with his lips and then we can do a baptism. But even, even at that, it's fine. So I hope I answered that question. All right. I think all the questions have been answered. Please put your hands together for my wife. As she makes it back to her seat. Hallelujah. Pray in tongues for one minute. Pray in tongues for one minute. Can I have the ambience team just clear this place for me, please? Come on, come on. If you will, then you know how to do it. Pray in tongues better. Let's have some more favor. Go ahead, pray in tongues. Jesus name we have prayed in Jesus name we have prayed father we're about to go into the word daddy I ask you put the right words in my mouth let me speak what is on your heart to your children in Jesus name we've prayed all right let's get into the word we have a lot to talk about Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. Could you please shut that door? Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were what? Come on, they were what? And what? On the earth. This may seem like a grim place to start the afternoon teaching, talking about how people died in the faith. But I think it's a very fitting place to begin because until you truly know why you are on earth, you won't really live properly. The Bible does say these people saw themselves as strangers and pilgrims on earth. The theme of this campfire meeting is we are light. And there is a consciousness I want to awaken you to with this um, teaching that we are about to have. And it is this. If you read through Hebrews 11 and what you are inspired to do is have faith for things. You've not really read Hebrews 11 properly. It is true that Hebrews 11 may teach you how to have faith for a car or have faith for a house. But you need to understand that there is a bigger inspiration in the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter 11. And it's in this verse. These all died in faith. 
but having seen them, uh, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off, and were persuaded of them, this was their response. They embraced the promises and confessed. There is something that happens to the believer when he understands the call of God on his life. Every believer has a call. I know there is the specific call into ministry, but there is the call out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Do you understand what I'm saying? And every believer answered that call. And something happens when you, when you understand what that call is. There is a confession that will come out of your lips. You say, I'm a stranger and I'm a, I'm a pilgrim here. Nothing in this world really matters as far as the grand scheme of things goes. And so, I know that the conversation on faith from Hebrews 11 has been usually used around the subject of how to have things and how to believe God for things. But there is a more evident faith in Hebrews 11, and it is a faith that denounces the world. It is a faith that lives for God. Are you getting what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a faith, there is an evident faith. Notice how Hebrews 11 announces these people. The many people you see in Hebrews 11, he announces their faith by their stories. We need to have, or even as it were, write our own faith story. As we are alive, as we are living through this world, there has to be a, a faith story. Let it not be that the story that will be told about your life is that Brother Nkechi lived um, 30 years, um, went to school, had children, and died. Not one atom of impact for the gospel. Not one. Nobody, nobody in the world can say, thank God for this person. If not for him, I would have never met God. If not for her, I would have never taken my Christian walk seriously. Not one atom of impact for the gospel. We must, we must make a plan. See, as you have an ambition to buy whatever, have whatever, go wherever, you must have an ambition for the gospel. You must have an ambition to do something for the gospel. You must. In Romans chapter 15, the Bible tells us that the things that were written from our fall were written for our own learning. So when we read the story of Abraham, when we read the story of Moses, of, um, of Isaac, of David, of Jacob, Ezekiel, Nehemiah, Ezra, when we read these people's stories, we shouldn't just read them like my book of Bible stories, go to bed and sleep because we've read a good story. No! They were written for you to learn from. That the city walls have been destroyed for a number of years and you look at the city walls and say, No. This is not the Jerusalem I used to know. And with your own resources, with your time, with your energy, you go and meet the king and petition him, can I rebuild those walls? Please, let me do it. The Bible precedence for your Christian walk is to leave all and follow is to leave all and follow. No man 
can achieve much for God if he still has his eyes on material things. No man. No man. No man. Let me teach you now. See, there's something I will often say jokingly and seriously. There's nothing I have that if God demands for it, I can't give it. Nothing. Nothing I have. Nothing I have. Nothing I have. My wife and I had just gotten married. The Lord asked her to go on a missionary trip just before the COVID-19 started. We just got married. I went and asked God, did you talk to this girl? God said, yes. I said, okay. If God spoke to you, go. Then COVID-19 locked everywhere down so she couldn't go anywhere. I was ready to say, you know what? Go where the Lord has asked you to go. And it wasn't for two weeks. It wasn't for, it wasn't for a while. There's nothing I have. The biblical precedence is to leave all and follow. See, there's something Bishop Oedipo always says. He said, God is either God of all in your life or God of none. God demands absolute followership. You, you can't serve God and serve mammon. Do you hear what I'm telling you? So, when we are praying, or you are praying, and you are calling for material things, check your intentions. It's good to want things. You ought to. It's good to have an ambition. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer, or a barber, or whatever. It's good to have a good ambition. It's great. Okay. But your ambition, like every other thing in your life, must be submitted to the will of God. That I will hold this ambition until God said he doesn't want me to. And the moment he says, stop it, I just let go of the ambition like I never wanted it and I face something else. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 30. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit life? eternal life. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto them, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. Listen, you may not understand the story you're reading until you understand something Jesus said when he said that where the treasure of a man is, that's where his heart will be. Have you read that scripture before? Ah, so Jesus revealed something in this man's life that even the man didn't know. Jesus said to him in verse 22, Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. So Jesus was contrasting between how right now you have treasures on the earth, Give away all that treasure and receive a treasure in heaven. 
Jesus was saying, you have treasure on the earth, therefore your heart is in those things that you have. Let's go of all these things that you have, give them to the poor, and then truly your heart will be in heaven. You see, this was not a novice to the things of God. Do you know what it means to say with all your full chest when Jesus is asking you that I have I haven't committed adultery, I haven't killed, I haven't stolen, I haven't borne false witness. I honor my father and my mother. This was not a small child. He was a grown man. He says, all these things I have kept from my youth. This was not, this man wasn't, you know, contrary to what many people might want to think about this guy. He wasn't a man living in sin. This man had serious consecration. He kept the law. Ah, but Jesus looked at him and said, there's something missing. It, it goes beyond the law. It's the true consecration. You may have kept the law, but your heart is still attached. Let's go of everything. And the, man, the Bible says the man was, he went away because he was exceedingly sorrowful because he was very rich. He no longer wanted eternal life when his material possessions were involved. Verse 24, and when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying that if you must be a Christian, you must be poor materially. Jesus is saying that if you must be a Christian, you must never let money have you. You may have things, but don't let those things have you. I. He said... For it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 26. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, These things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Verse 28. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Peter understood what Jesus was talking about. He knew the problem wasn't this guy's money. He said, See, Jesus. Contrary to this man, we've left everything and we followed you. We followed you. And then um, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, everybody read together, one, two, three, go. There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting so i know when we teach on consecration like this and we want to teach on abandoning materialism we tend to make it look like god doesn't want the believer to have anything full stop but the truth is, Jesus did say, there's nobody who has left all of those things who will not receive manifold more in this present time. So there is provision for all the things that you abandon to follow God in this present time. Say amen. amen. But more importantly, in the time to come, life everlasting. We must seek to live lives that impact the world for the gospel. We, there's no other way. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's no other way. You really are light. Shine as light. Shine. Shine as light. There's work to be done. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll read from verse 15. And he died for all, that they which live... You know what? Let me wait for you. Okay, it's up on the screen. Everybody read this statement as long, as loud as you can. One, two, go. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them... Read it one more time as loud as you can. One to go. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which... For the last time as loud as you can. One to go. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but... Listen to me. You don't yet understand the importance of Jesus' death until you get to that henceforth moment when you now realize I can't live unto myself anymore but unto him who died for me and rose again. You don't really understand it. You may know all the theology around the resurrection of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but all of that theology has not done anything in your life until you get to that point where you say, Kai, henceforth, that is going from here, going forward, I will not live my life for myself that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him who died for them and rose again next verse wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh yea though we have known Christ after the flesh yet now henceforth know, he, know we him no more verse 17 everybody read together one to go therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature all things are passed away behold all things have become new verse 18 and all things are of God hold on I know you know verse 17 new creation reality students if any man be in Christ is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new I'm a new man in Christ huh, that's good but the next statement says and all things belong to God Kai God and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has done what You don't get it. He, those two things are not different. When he reconciled you to himself, in the process of drawing you in, it was like it was like he pulled you. Please stand up. You were far. He pulled you in and turned you around and said, Now I'm gonna pull other people in. That's the work. He reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Next verse. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. This is the ministry. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And has committed unto us the word. So, he was reconciling in Christ. But the men will not be reconciled until the word of reconciliation is preached. Raise your hand if you've seen the passion of the Christ before. You've seen the movie. Keep your hand up if you cried while watching the movie. You, you thought to yourself, my God, how is this man suffering so much? And then eventually you realized when you became a Christian, you can put your hands down, that he was suffering for you. All of that suffering is wasted in the life of an unbeliever if you don't preach. That the salvation message is ineffective if we don't tell it. Ineffective. 
ineffective if we don't preach it. He says, to wit that he was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And now he has committed unto us the ministry, the word of reconciliation. Verse, nine, um, verse 20. Now then, we are what? Oh, these are heavy statements. Brothers and sisters, these are heavy. Do you know who an ambassador is? A representative of a, of a kingdom to another kingdom. We are Christ's representatives here on earth. That's a heavy statement. Maybe if we understood that statement a little bit more, the way we behave will change. You are the Jesus that people see. Don't, do you not understand? They may never see him. They may never have an encounter with Jesus. But when they have had an encounter with you, let it be enough. Let it be enough. That like the disciples, people will see you and hear you speak and say, Kai, we perceive that you have been with Jesus Christ. We perceive. There's a lot of transformation that must happen in your life. It must happen. Let's stop playing this professional Christianity that we are doing where we come to church on Sunday and our Sunday life is, is separated from our Monday life. After Sunday service, we have done our quota of Christianity for the week. Let's go home. They don't know you are a Christian in the office. They don't know you are a Christian at home. They don't know. They don't know you take God seriously. They only know you go to church. And it's even worse. The name of the church is, is circle church. It's not one. It doesn't have deep, you know, you know, if you say you're going to celebration church, you can understand. You say, celebrate that we're celebrating God. What does sacred church mean? So they don't know you're a Christian. You don't pray at home. You're the most troublesome person at home. Your walk with God has no effect on your life. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are. This is what it means. As though God did beseech you by us. Hey. God is beseeching the world through me. God is reaching out to the... God's message is lost if I keep my mouth shut. Do you hear this? All these arguments. Should I preach the gospel? You know when I say preach in the workspace, you can preach the gospel either by actions or by words. No, you do the both of them you will preach by words, then your actions will show what you are preaching. Uh -huh. It's not mutually exclusive. You must do the two. Don't choose. Don't preach word and don't have actions. And don't do actions and don't preach. Mm -mm. You must do the two. Because if you keep your mouth shut, God's message to them is lost. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you don't understand how important the Christian is. There's a reason why you did not go to heaven immediately, you were saved. Uh -uh. God's final goal is for you to be with him. And it's easier if you don't go through the blemish of this world. As you are ready, just, just say, God, let's do this now. Lord Jesus, I accept him to my life. God said, you heard him. Michael, you heard him. He has accepted us. Call him home, call him home, call him home. Just go home, let's go, let's go. The reason is because he kept you here so that others will accept him through you. There has to be 
within us a consciousness that there's an assignment on my life. I, I can't live ordinarily anymore. I, I, can't just, I, can't, I can't just behave anyhow again. I, I'm, I'm called of God. I'm light now. I'm the true light that lights this world because the gospel is, is my weapon. I have it. I, I, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. The city on the hill is to provide light to everybody else. It's not supposed to cower in shyness. It's to provide light. Your light is meant to shine. It's meant to shine. And God has given to every single one of us the same measure of light. Because that light is the gospel. We all have the same gospel. So we determine how far it shines. Some people will shine as bright as a candlestick and others as bright as the sun. Choose today which you would be. Would you be as effective as a candlestick or as effective as a sun? Would you be able to light up just one corner of a room or you light up the entire earth? Choose today how effective you will be. It says, as though God did beseech you by us. Do you ever see, do you ever read, when I read this portion of scripture and it dawned on me what it meant, I was like, God, that's too, that's too much of a responsibility to put on a man. That, so you mean, if I don't speak God's words, they will never be heard. Kai. I heard a man of God ask that, what would Christianity be like today if you were part of the original 12? Would it have gone far? Would it have gone far? You've read stories. I want to call you to a life of consecration, please. You've read stories. Men like Thomas who was killed in India. He was impaled by a sword. Somebody was hung upside down. Another person on a transverse cross. All for the gospel. All for the gospel. So you will know it. So you will hear it. So you will have it. But then they tell you to preach and you say, I'm shy. I'm shy. Come on. How far? How far will the gospel go because of you? How far will it go because of you? What is your contribution? Because when we stand before God, only two things matter. Doesn't matter where you worked. I know you've thought before that maybe God, God puts inside of you the talent to sing. And so when you stand before him, he will ask you, I made you a singer. What do you do with your singing voice? No, he's not going to ask you. Two things matter. One, I gave you my son. Did you accept him? Two, when you accepted him, what did you do with him? What did you do with him? What do you do with the Holy Ghost inside of you? The Bible says in Acts, when it was time for the, um, the Pharisees wanted to go after the disciples and arrest them, and the high priest said, don't go after them. See, these men have turned the world upside down. That was what the Pharisees said. They've turned the world upside down. You can't even turn your home upside down for the gospel. You are, you are too shy to talk to your own younger brother. He's your younger brother. You are like Peter. A 12-year-old girl calls you and accuses you of believing in Jesus and you deny God before it's a 12-year-old. What would she do to you? What would your younger brother do to you? Why are you not talking to them about Jesus Christ? Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And we want to outsource what is our responsibility to the Holy Ghost. We come here every day, we pray, God, save my younger brother, but you've never spoken to him. I repent. Stop it.
that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth no longer live for themselves. I was, I was awakened to that point. This is my new life. I, I, can't, I can't just, I can't just, let my, my, my faith story cannot be that I, I died and then after I was alive, I had children, had two cars, three cars, four cars, and then I, I, I ran a company, but that was it, and then I died. And then you get to heaven, and while you're on earth, you were a big deal. CEO, you had all the money, and you get to heaven, and you are nothing. Because when God is given accolades, when God is appreciating those who worked, you did nothing. You did nothing. The church organizes an evangelism outfit, you don't come. We beg you, talk to people at home, you don't come. You don't do that. All right, invite someone to church, you can't do that. Do you think, do you think... You are inviting people to church because if you and because the church wants needs your help to grow. Let me tell you the truth now. It is true that if you invite people to church, they will add to the numbers. But God can add to the numbers well by Himself. For a period in this church, we had people who were walking into church because they saw us in visions and dreams. There was a person, there was a lady, she woke up and she had circle church and came to church. And it happens, don't worry. We have angels, they know how to do the work. And if you are not doing it, we are doing it. We are going out, we are calling people, we are inviting them. So don't worry. Do it because it is your life. It is what is demanded of you. It's what God, somebody died for you, act like it. What's all this selfishness? Act like it. Someone gave his life for you, act like it. You must, in your life, Kai, you must be impact conscious and it must be for the gospel. Do you hear what I'm saying? You must be influence conscious and it must be for the gospel. I've often told people, see, it is good and important to evangelize on the streets. You must. But I think it is more important to start at home. Do you know why? Because I think evangelism at home puts it places a demand on your lifestyle. You can't be troublesome anymore. You can't be wayward anymore in the house. You can't put up a facade, come to church, act good, and then go home and act anyhow. Your younger brother, you turn to him and tell him Jesus loves you, you give your life, say, I should become a Christian like you. Mm. Many of us, that's why we're afraid of evangelizing. Change. Stop it. Be influence conscious. Let me tell you. As far as Christians keep thinking that the only way to win souls is by going to the streets, we'll keep, we'll keep playing second. You see, an average Muslim does not evangelize on the streets. Do you know? How many of them do you see? How many, if, raise your hand if a Muslim has ever come to you randomly on the street, say, I bring you the good news from Allah. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you before. One, I just need one person. Anyone, no one. So how do they do it? They are influence conscious. It's at home. It's at home. They raise their children in the way of Islam. 
Is that true? Ah, yes. They raise, they convert their personal friends to Islam. Is that true? You, you have been hanging out in the office with this person three years. Three years, they don't know you are a Christian. Let alone you confronting their lifestyle. Say, I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to be offensive. Light is always offensive to darkness. Always, always. If you are not being offensive, you are not shining your light. If you will shine your light, you will be offensive. It's, it, there is no compromise that can be made. What I'm saying might be unpopular. You might not like it, but you must hear it. After this session, go home. Always, always, light is always offensive. Always. Didn't you see Jesus? When he stood against all the Pharisees, did, did, did he cower? Did, was he shy? No. He called them out. Light is always offensive. When he was standing against the kingdom of darkness, he, he called them out. Light is always offensive. Kai. You have a roommate. Your roommate does not know you are a believer. Kai, Kai. Kai. Or your roommate knows, eh, hey, he's a Christian, but I don't know how serious he or she is. Kai. It will never be us. It will never be us. Ah, it will never be us. It will never be us. I had roommates in my final year, my extra year. If you know anything about extra year in Covenant University, your extra year roommates are OGs. Do you understand what I'm saying? OGs. <laughs> They are, not, they are not in extra year because they fell sick and did not write one exam. They are most likely in extra year because they were not serious in school. And they were not serious and most of them were chasing after women and drugs. I had roommates that were chasing after women and drugs. I said, God, thank you for this pressure project you have given me. Because we begin from day one. Day one, I cleared everywhere. Every morning, I opened my laptop. I said, we were Zacharias. Apologetics. I started with apologetics. You hear, you hear what? And I will just play it on my life. Everybody, you are entitled to play what you want to play. I will not stop you from playing your God. Your secular song, play it. I will wear earpiece, play it. But when it's time, I will play my own. And I used to play very early in the morning when your brain is still fresh. <laughs> so that we enter. I'm serious. I'm very serious. Then I started praying in tongues in the room. Very soon, my room is there following me to chapel. It, it, there's a way. It's offensive. Uh, yes, it's offensive. You, you enter the room, say, ah, I don't know how these people are. Let me not look like I'm very spiritual. What? I'm very spiritual. Do with it what you want. Do with it what you want. I'm, I'm a Jesus baby to the core. Do, uh -uh. Bishop Oedipo says, shameful to, it's, it's, uh, it's foolish to be shameful of what is gainful. You are ashamed of Jesus? What's the alternative? Is it better? Is it better? Come on. You are ashamed of Jesus. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. So I don't want them to really know. Why? How did Jesus teach us to make impact?
someone told me if you want if you want to if you want your church to grow you need to embrace some certain things and there are some certain things you need to stop doing all this miracle service you are doing it's not really the way of the young people now all this the type of preaching you are preaching i said me i, I had this conversation with somebody i said me ah no i will flow in the things of the spirit i will teach mightily and powerfully let me tell you something that you don't know this generation wants it let me tell you now, know it and know peace. When they find somebody that flows in the, the, and teaches well, they, will they won't go anywhere. You will be in your church arranging suya night, and I don't have a problem, I do have a problem with it, but I don't have a problem with you. You are organizing in a way um, seeker-sensitive services, and I, don't, I understand if you are packaging your service to cater to young people, and that's different. But when you are compromising on the message because you want to reach, they will know, they can't tell. They will attend that meeting, eat your suya, and go to the church that really teaches the truth. That's why till tomorrow, living faith, they will keep growing. The man stands and is not compromising on his values. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. See, your friends know. They know. The unbelievers amongst you, they know. When they have problems, they know who to call. It's not you. They know that you will fall for anything. So they won't call you. They will laugh with you. They will go to the club with you. They will, ah, you are a chilled Christian. But when they really need Christianity, it's not you they will look for. That should make you ashamed. It should make you ashamed. It should make you ashamed. When they really need a Christian, it's not you they will call. You see that person that you and them used to mock together, that they are too serious. That person, that's who they will go and meet. When they need advice for relationship, they won't ask you. They will go and meet that person and say, see what's happening. Talk to me. True light that lies the world. Light does not negotiate with darkness. I will be dark now, you will be mm -mm 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 -mm. Light does not negotiate with darkness. It just shines. It's there. It's just... In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe, believe, um, believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So you know that there is a God of this world. He has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. And you want to act like a black... Do you know what you look like when... Do you know what we look like when we fraternize with the world? They, they are blind, we are not. But we look like people who, you see a blind person, and because you want to identify so much with their blindness, you use your handkerchief, you tie it around your eyes and start doing like this. The one with sight should lead the blind. It shouldn't be the other way around. Do you hear what I'm saying? When we let the world lead us, we are letting blind people lead people with open eyes. It doesn't end anywhere else but catastrophe.
Say, I'm shy. You want to feel among. Among what? The fear of missing out. What are you missing out of? What are you what exactly is it that you're missing out of? And and these blind people, they know how to coin it well. Eh? They will not say that we are fighting for freedom to do as we please. You are not really free. Oh. You are not really free. You have you have an addiction to weed. You can't stop. Even when you don't want to, you do it. You say you are free. You are not free. You are not free. You are not free. Don't lie to me. You are not free. You are not free. Come, let me show you how to be free. Finally, Matthew chapter 5. See, we are going to pray this afternoon. Oh. Father, let my life count for something. I'm serious. Oh. And don't pray that prayer if you are not serious. If you are not ready for your life to count for the gospel. Let, let's stop all these conversations. I was telling somebody the other day, the people who really understand what the gospel is and the importance of the gospel, they don't argue online about whether Titan is important or not. They don't argue. They don't argue. They don't argue. You get into a community. A Muslim man moves in. Give that man, a wealthy Muslim man moves in. Give that man one year. He has built a mosque. He has built a mosque. A Christian moves into a community. Give him 10 years. There will still be no church there. No church. Not one. He attends a church miles away. He can't meet his pastor and say, Pastor, I want to build a church in my community. Send someone to come and pastor it. No. He puts his money in his pocket. And be arguing online. Why must we give 10%? 10, 10%, 10. Are you not ashamed? Ah. These conversations need to be had. They do. The gospel needs spreading. You are arguing about 10%. Kai. Uh, uh, and we laugh about these things but let's take them seriously for once somebody goes online is in a house 90 days in those 90 days acts immorally spreads messages of immorality to the world does anyhow on screen on air for the world to see including children then comes out of the house and we start celebrating the person. And may this person stand. And may this person stand. And then it's their, it's their birthday. You gather money and buy things for them. You give towards their birthday. Your church is doing outreach. You not give one naira. Evangelism outreach. You not. The church said, let us print tracts. You didn't have. You didn't. Ah, pastor, I would have loved to give right now. But I, the way things are going... The other day, my apostle got somewhere. They opened the door for him. The entire Twitter said, shout, why are they opening the door for him? Because they opened the door for somebody. They opened... <laughs> and don't be a part of it, though. Let me... 
please, if you're a member of this church, don't be a part of If you don't know what to think about it, message me. Uh, Pastor, they say, thank God I'm on Twitter. I'm active. Message me. Pastor, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know how I feel about this. If, and me, I'm a very honest and sincere person. If the pastor went overboard, I will tell you. The other day, one pastor online, every day he's insulting one Christian after. I called him out. I said, sir, due respect. I love you. You are a brother. But it's wrong to do this. I will tell you. I will tell you. I'm, over, I'm, I'm honest. I'm honest. Especially if I try to correct you in private and you can't, I will I'll call you out. I will tell you. So if you message me and say, pastor, I don't know what to think about this thing that this person said. Ah, what I will tell you. But be careful. Don't let your love for God be eroded. I love for material things. But here arguing about things that don't matter. Do you really think, let me ask you a question. Do you really think it's people's 10% that are advancing the gospel like this? Can we, can we be honest? Do you really think it is 10% that is doing all of this and advancing the gospel? 10%. No, no, no. No, no. Can we be honest? In planning this meeting, we had in the last, I think within the last two weeks, we had about one point something million to raise. It's not a lot of money to some people, to some others a lot. About 1.6 million to raise. And I did something I've never done before. I gathered, I think, four or five people inside a group. And I said... Omo, you are members of this church. God has blessed you. We have this need. And most of them, I think about three or four of them, raised the full money. You think it's 10% that is doing the work? It's not. The gospel needs more than 10%. When we teach you to give, first and foremost, the reason why we hammer on giving is not because we definitely need your resources. We do, but that's not why. The reason why we are hammering so much is there is a hold that money has on people's hearts. The only way to break it is by giving. Let me tell you now. There is a way money can grip your heart. The only way you can break that thing is by letting go of the money. Just give it out. I like what somebody said online during the morning session when I was, talking, when I was teaching on how God leads. And the person said, um, it's not every time that you hear good things. Sometimes God will ask you to give away something that you have and you will know it's God that spoke. It's true. Ah, it's very true. Someone gave me a phone this weekend. I loved it. I loved the phone so much. Then I, I saw a brother and God said, see that phone that you love? Your very phone, whom thou lovest? <laughs> said, take it and give it to him. I fought inside of, I, I negotiated. I said, Holy Ghost. Can I give him another one? Okay, what if I buy? The Holy Ghost said, no. This one that you love so much, carry it and give him. I came back. I packaged the phone back. It, same day. They gave me the phone in the afternoon. I gave it away in the night. Same day, I just packaged it. And I said, brother, take. I didn't even tell him the Lord said I should give you. <laughs> Let's not get angry. I just told him, take. He said, you mean it? In my mind, I was like, you better take him for a change my mind. (laughs) (laughs) 
So yeah. Allow God, allow God treat you well so that you will grow up and you, you'll be mature. <laughs> ah! When I gave it and I said, there's truly nothing that God asked me for that I cannot give. Nothing. Because I really loved it too. My sister started mocking me that since they gave you this phone, you have not stopped looking at it. I plugged my earpiece immediately and I was enjoying myself the entire day. I said, my God, this phone is so amazing. 12, you not even reached 12 hours. Give it out. <laughs> Matthew 5.13 For verily I say unto you, Matthew 5.13, not 18, please. 13. Projection team, please. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? I don't know under what conditions salt can lose its savour. I don't know. But whatever conditions, it will have to alter the very makeup of the salt. That's the way many of us are. We give ourselves over to the world to be altered, to be changed. So you lose your savour, you lose your saltiness. He says, it is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out. And the end result is that it will be trodden under foot of men. See, it is a dangerous thing to be a lukewarm Christian. I is a dangerous thing. To be a lukewarm Christian, dangerous, very dangerous thing. Because three things happen. Number one, God cannot trust you. Number two, the devil knows you are easy prey. Number three, men do not rate you. It's a dangerous thing to be a lukewarm Christian. Like salt, you will lose your savour. And you'll be good for nothing except to be cast out and let men step on you. So, God will be looking for a man in your environment and he can't trust you. Let me tell you something. He will look for people around. He will be looking for a man around where you are. And he can't trust you to get the job done. So, he will call somebody from far and tell the person, go to XYZ place. Go and get the job done. Kai... May God never seek a man in my environment and not find me. May it never happen. Nine, um, 14 rather. says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a, on a hill. You cannot be hidden. You... Your Christianity is supposed to make you stand out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is supposed to make you stand out. You're not supposed to blend in. You're not supposed to be among. You're meant to be different. You're meant to be different. You're meant to be different. There's a way the devil will make us be ashamed of things that we should be glad about. Your roommates are having immoral conversations. You enter the room, they stop. It is a good thing. Don't say, ah, now, why do you even stop now? No. Brothers and sisters, you are winning. 
Ah, you are winning, you are winning. At least they recognize, they recognize that you get the kind of no fish around this person. So let's respect ourselves. It's a good thing. Uh-uh. A good thing. When you first enter the room, you are praying. Your roommate says, every time you are praying, every time you are praying. But now, when you are praying, you say, just leave him home. He can be there now for like three hours. Just leave him, let him talk to God. Ah, it's a good thing. You are winning, you are winning. You are doing something right. You are a city set on a hill. You are supposed to stand out. That's what it means. You are on top of the hill. All the other cities are under. But no, no, no. You, you are on top. You are supposed to stand out. They are meant to look up to you, not the other way around. Next verse. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are... Say all. All that are in the house. I want to give you a challenge, especially those of you that come from homes where you have people who are not taking God seriously. In 2023, everybody in your house will love God. Say amen. amen. Ah, but that's your responsibility. You will work hard. You will take them as prayer projects. Do you hear what I'm saying? You will write their name in the night. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Mr. Festus. He will be saved. I pray for daddy. He will be saved. I pray for my elder brother. He will be saved. You will pray. And then after praying, in the daytime, you preach to them. You reach out to them. You talk to them. You, uh, uh, you... I think, I think it was... I don't know if it was Charles Spurgeon that said that the only way unbelievers are allowed to go to hell is with the hands of Christians wrapped around their knees begging them not to go. Kai, you, you, you. Does it not, don't you fear eternity? Are you not afraid of eternity? That it is possible that here on earth you don't want to offend them. Do you know the reason why we behave the way we behave? We think we have time. We actually think we have time. If you've ever been seriously ill, you will know how fickle life is. Ah, you will know how fickle life is. And I'm not saying this to scare you, but I'm saying this to let you know that there should be a sense of urgency, especially for your loved ones. If you truly, really do love them, try to secure their eternity. Try it. There should be a sense of it, a sense of urgency that ah. Because let me tell you something. A lot of people think that eternity is like the life you've lived here. No. If you live for a thousand years on earth, it is not a blip on, a rad on the radar of eternity. It won't show up. If you plot a graph, it won't appear. When eternity is named, it won't appear. Like eternity is a thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand, and it's not even, like that doesn't even begin to cover it. So, what kind of life do you want your, your siblings, your loved ones to live in an end, like eternity, what kind of life do you want them to live? That it is time for you to talk to them here and say, you need to take God a little bit more seriously. Have a serious tete -a -tete say, I don't like confrontation. You must give light to all that are in the house. You just have to. You must. Next verse. Let's wrap this thing up. Have another meeting to go to. It says, Let your light so shine, therefore, before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So remember, I told you, you will preach and you will do it with actions too. That they may see your good works. 
A fundamental part of your preaching is your good works. Praise the Lord. So there will be good works in your life. You will live right. You know, many times when we ask all those questions of, must I do this? Can't I hang out with my friends that are not believers? The problem is you are not thinking of what they really need. You're thinking a lot about yourself. Since I'm saved, is it not okay? But they are not. And by you hanging out with them, you're making it harder for them to be saved. Because you're giving them the impression that every believer is like you. That's, see, that's the reason why in our society today, when um, people try to do good and Christians try to uphold the Christian standard, a lot of people would usually say, ah, this one is outside. Inside, you see what they are doing. The reason why they are talking like that is because they have a friend that is exactly like that. On Sunday, you look good in church, you act good in church, you, everybody calls you sister Tobias and brother Iberichi. He's good. But Monday, Monday, you are the worst. And so the unbelievers around you are saying, well, this, I think this is exactly how Christianity is. So when somebody comes to preach to them that maybe you ought to change, they're like, Kai, I know, I know that you may look like you are good, though, but you have skeletons in your own cupboard too. Do you see how not only are you not preaching the gospel to them, you are hindering them from receiving the gospel. See, it is a fearful thing, but God will ask you questions. He will hold you accountable. He will ask you questions. I think we ought to have a little bit more fear. I think we've gotten too relaxed. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. You are, but that's not, the, that's not where it stops. You will never go to hell. We know. There's no need to say amen. You are not going to hell. You are saved. Amen. Ah, that's saved. But you will go to heaven and give accounts for all your works. Ha, ah, that's another thing you ought to be scared of. I'll give accounts as a pastor. I'll give accounts for every message I've ever preached. I'll give accounts for every flow that every flow session I indulged in. I will give account, I will give accounts. So for messages I did not properly prepare, I will stand before God and God will say, "Why didn't you give this message some Preparation time. I'm standing before the creator of the universe and I have to give accounts. So for those friends that you indulged in their sinfulness and they went to hell, God will show you and say, look at this person. Look at, the, um, look at David. Look at him. He's in hell. He's in hell because when you were supposed to preach to him, you did. How, I, how are you not afraid that you will give accounts? How does it not pick your heart that you will give accounts before God? How? How? You will, you must, you will give account before God. How does it not break your heart? And then not only will you give account before God, your, your loved one would look up and see you in heaven and say, Kai, you knew? You knew and you didn't say anything. Listen, treat this thing with a sense of urgency. I'm begging you. Treat it with a sense of of urgency. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, Your life must count for the gospel. Before we start talking about buying the field, before we start talking about can we preach the gospel first? Yes, it's important to buy the field and we will. Ah, but we'll preach the gospel.
It's important for us to go for influence in the movie space. And we will, we must. Ah, but we'll preach the gospel first. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because if you start trying to do all these other ones, and you've not covered the basis, you will, you will cave in those industries. You will cave. You will cave. That's what's happening to a lot of our music ministers. Music ministers that don't have a church, they don't have a prayer life, they don't evangelize, they don't have a Christian walk as it's where they cave. You sign to a record label, they say you can't sing anything Christian, okay? Okay. It's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere. And then when you confront them, they will say, um, to, uh, Paul said to some, I become... Uh, when did Paul stop preaching the gospel? Eh? When? Say, sometimes I have to be like them to win them. If you become like them, you will never win them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, if you become like them, you will never win them. <laughs> ah, we need to wake up. Oh. <laughs> we need to wake up. Where you are seated, say, Father, my life must count for the gospel. Go ahead and pray. Father, make my life count for the gospel. You are not praying like somebody who knows that this thing is important. Father, make my life count for the in my lifetime. My my faith story cannot just be that I existed. My faith story cannot just be that I gave birth to children and died. My faith story cannot just be that oh I had a car and I ran a company. Make my life count for the gospel. Make it count. Lord, make a name for yourself through my life. Open your mouth and pray. Use me, Lord. Use me. I'll give you 10 more seconds. name we have prayed daddy let us count for the gospel we recognize that you gave your life that us we which live we should no longer live, live for ourselves and so father from today this is our henceforth moment as a church collectively we decide we will no longer live for ourselves we will live to bring you glory 
In Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.